Welcome to Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Board Game Workshop Design Contest is starting up soon. Submissions open March 17th and close April 21st. You can find all the details about submitting a game or becoming a judge on theboardgameworkshop.com. In this contributor episode, we have some listener answers. Bill talks about playtesting, and Bez talks about how a game is never done and conventions. Now, on to the show. This is a listener question. The last question was, what is your favorite prototyping tool or component, and why do you like using it? And here are your answers. Hi, this is Rick Lorenzen, and I'm calling to uh, give a thought on my favorite prototyping tool or component. I like to uh, save cereal boxes and get sticker paper um, from Walmart and use uh, print use my printer to print up some uh, um, graphics on the sticker paper, stick them onto uh, the cardboard cereal boxes and just cut them out with scissors so I can make some more useful and easier to uh, manipulate tokens um, for playtesting and prototyping. It's come in handy quite often and it's a quick way to um, hurry and iterate something but still get your prototype to look a little bit nice, especially if you're trying to motivate people to play with you. Sometimes it takes a little little extra effort to, to make your game look pretty some, to encourage uh, and entice playtesters. And that's come in handy for me. Thanks. Hi, my name is Nathan from the Pirate Mutiny Card Game, a short free-for-all, no-turn-squabble-over-loot. My favorite prototyping prototyping tool has got to be a blank notebook and a pencil. The creativity really flows after I start brainstorming, and my second favorite component comes into play here. Index cards. Versatile, cheap, and perfect size for big folded cards or super folded tokens. I've learned that this allows for easy adding to decks and a consistency in development that allows for easy spotting of errors and ideas to explore. That's why a notebook and index cards work for me. Anyway, thanks. Thanks, Chris. The new question is, what is a published game that taught you something about game design and what did it teach you? Call one seven two five two two two. 8249 and leave your name and your answer. You have until April 1st to call and you'll be on the next Contributor episode. Hello and welcome everybody to the Board Game Sandbox. As always, I'll be your host, Bill Lassick of Wandering Hearth Games, located in currently snowed in Central Jersey. So, uh, here in the Board Game Sandbox, we talk about uh, topics and ideas that I've learned through my misadventures in board game design as a means of helping make your games as amazing as possible. Hopefully, you can learn from my mistakes and learnings. Um, so we've talked about a couple different topics so far. We've talked about how to get that initial idea going forward and what to shoot for when you're making your first prototype. So let's say you have your first prototype. What do you do from here? Well, of course, uh, that is everybody's favorite term in this industry, play test. Playtest, playtest, eat, sleep, playtest some more. Um, It's thrown around a lot, but it really is that important. Uh, It is probably one of the most critically important things you can do for your game. Playtesting will help you refine your design, test ideas, polish your mechanisms, and it even acts as a pseudo-marketing tool um, because your playtesters, as you bring them in, may become invested in your game and want to, in the future, invest in your game, whether it's on Kickstarter, or you may be doing a playtest session with a publisher, and that publisher may choose to pick up your design, which would be a solid win and great. Um, doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's wonderful. So, uh, playtesting, 
how do you go about it? Um, obviously, there's a couple different ways you can play test. Um, uh, I'm going to talk about the main one, which is play testing with groups, but there are plenty of other ways. Uh, for instance, you could have um, brilliant friends or family like uh, David Abelson from uh, the game Intel, which uh, recently was on Kickstarter and the expansion was on Kickstarter. Uh, it's a really fun um uh, almost chess-like game where you're playing uh, uh, white hat and black hat hackers uh, trying to take control of a computer system. Uh, and the game is, it feels super polished. Um, it's got an interesting action selection system, and it's definitely worth checking out, especially since it only plays in 15 minutes, and it's relatively inexpensive. It should kind of be in everybody's collection. Um now, in this game, uh, it's got a lot of uh, math and thinky parts to it as far as how the game was balanced. Um, most people, when they're making games like this, will, you know, test and test and test again with people. Uh, David actually was uh, or is lucky enough to have a family that are uh, coding uh, geniuses, I guess you know, would be the best way of phrasing. Uh, and they were able to design computer programs that were able to go play the game thousands of times and over countless iterations, make sure that the game was as balanced as it needed to be to be uh, fun and enjoyable. Most of us, unfortunately, do not have access to that. If you do, I'm jealous, and uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'd, I'd love to chat and see if uh, we can work on my designs later. But um, the vast majority of us don't have that. Uh, so uh, obviously, you can do play testing solo by yourself, acting as uh, multiple people within your game. And especially if you're doing long three-hour, four-hour games, you may do that uh, several times just to kind of work out some of the glaring bugs in your game because getting groups to sit down for those super long play tests isn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, so don't discount uh, and definitely use if you can just playing uh, solo, playing yourself, but acting as different people, different personality types playing the game. Uh, that will help. But what I really want to focus on in today's episode is play testing with groups. Um, how do you make that successful? Okay, well, uh, there are two things that are absolutely critical to this, more important than anything else. Um, the first one uh, do not be defensive. You're going to hear feedback from people. They're going to be taking time out of their day uh, to help you improve your design from their perspective. You're not there to discount their ideas, their feelings, um, their perceptions. Uh, they're not trying to attack you, or often they're not. Sometimes you do get an occasional unfortunate uh, uh, strong personality that uh, likes hurting people's game designs. But the vast majority, 99.99% of people that are going to play test your game are honestly giving you feedback from their perspective to help you understand what they enjoyed, did not enjoy, would like to see from your game. Um, don't get into a debate with them, like why you made choices you did or why you think they're wrong or why you think that your choice was right. Just listen. Don't be defensive. Just listen to what they say. Write it down. If you agree with it, great. If you don't agree with it, at least write it down and see if other people have that same feeling. Because what you think may be happening in your game or what you think may be intuitive in your game may not be. And that's where 
multiple play tests will uh, bring that knowledge out. So step one, do not be defensive when you're getting feedback. Step two, um, and this is um, almost as important, know what feedback you're going to want. Um, when I sit down with people to play test my games, I have a clear idea of what information I'm looking for, whether it's playtime, player interaction, um, uh, how a certain faction works, or how the game length feels. I will know what main high points that I'm trying to test for are, and I'll communicate that right up front to my players, saying, hey, okay, so today's game, uh, I made some changes. Previous versions did feel a little long, uh, and today we're going to test to see how the game length feels. So as you're going through, let me know if you feel like things are dragging or moving on a little too slow or a little too fast for you. So I'm putting those seeds in their head of what they need to look for to help me refine my design where I know it may need some work or uh, uh, just an uh, in, you know, intelligence check to see if I am really in the zone of where I want my game to be. Now, um, sometimes you may not have that list. Uh, you may not know exactly what kind of feedback you are. Many times, especially when a game is new to this world, you're like, give me feedback on anything. Um, that's fine. But even in those situations, I think the more direction you can give to your audience, your play testers, the better. Uh, for instance, if you don't really have a specific thing you're looking for, you really just want any feedback at all. Um, also try and think then what you don't want feedback on because I'm sure at some point during your game there's going to be something you don't want feedback on like for instance in my games when I play test um, I make iterations very very fast but my spelling can tend to be pretty poor uh, my handwriting can also be pretty poor so I'll tell people even if it's a very general just give me any kind of feedback type play test um, I'll communicate to them Hey, please do me a favor. Uh, don't pay attention to the grammar or don't worry about the spelling or as you flip over the cards, I might even read them for them. So they're not trying to struggle through my handwriting if I made some mid convention uh, or mid play test uh, changes to a card. So um, going into a play test, uh, two most important things. Do not be defensive. Understand people are there to help you and their opinions matter because that is what they're feeling. And when you are playtesting, try and give as much guidance of what you want or what you don't want to your audience. Because um, remember, at the end of the day, these are men and women and great people that are giving a part of their time, their day, um, their gaming opportunities, just to play a game that they know may or may not work, may be broken, may be amazing. Um, but they're giving a part of their time to help you. Their time, uh, just like yours, is incredibly valuable, and you want to get as much out of it as possible. So those are the two high-level concepts I wanted to go over. Now, from this point on, it's really free-form how you want to do your playtests. I'm going to go over how I do mine and what I look for and what I've found to be incredibly useful. And you can uh, take from whatever this process is that uh, you like and use it or completely ignore it. Um, but I do think it's worth considering because it's definitely helped me. So... Um, like I said, first things first, I will uh, set an expectation up front of what I'm trying to play test. Um, every time I play test, I will have uh, a notebook, uh, maybe with some pre-written questions ahead of time that I'm looking for, like, you know, how much uh, um, uh, 
confusion was at the table or different things I'm looking for, you know, open in the notebook, maybe a couple questions just to kind of remind me to look for certain things. And I will sit there with a stopwatch. Uh, first thing I will do is I will uh, hit the stopwatch and I will do the teach of the game. I will explain the game as it's supposed to be played to the staff, uh, to the players. And um, when that's done, I stop the timer. Uh, this is meaning, you know, I've gone through the explanations and any kind of questions they have. Uh, and I write that number down, time to teach. Um, then I'll ask if everybody's ready to go and I'll let them start playing. And I hit start again. Um, I'm recording every time each person is taking a single turn in a, in a traditional game where each person takes one turn per round. Um, and I'm timing the game the entire uh, experience. Uh, once the game concludes, I stop that timer. Uh, so I have two pieces of information. I have the number of rounds or turns people have taken written on a piece of paper, as well as the total play time of the game. This allows me um, at various player counts to know what the average play time per turn is if I'm taking too long or too short. Um, I find this much more useful than trying to track individual people's turns because uh, it, it definitely averages the numbers better and it'll give you a better feeling of how the game's going to play in the wild. Um, so once the game is over, I ask three questions. Um, I will ask, so what did everybody like? I'm looking for the high points, the most interesting things people found in my game. Uh, then I'll ask, what did everybody not enjoy or dislike? Uh, so again, I'm looking for uh, consensus, big points. Um, I'm looking for things that people found unenjoyable. And then I ask one open-ended question. Um, what, if anything, would you change about the game? And then I ask um, the final question, is there any other comments? Uh, so ver four very, very, very open-ended questions. Uh, I find that this free-form discussion allows for a lot of... Um, uh, ad-libbed and off-the-hip uh, off responses. People aren't really mulling their ideas over or thinking. They're, they're basically just going to speak what's at the top of their head, what's um, at the tip of their tongue, the most, um, uh, most critically memorable moments within your game that they played. Uh, and I write all their responses down. Uh, after that, I basically thank everybody for their conversation, their time, and then I will slide in front of them a feedback form. And I'll say, all right, everybody, thank you for playtesting my game. I appreciate your time um, that you gave. And if you'd like, I would appreciate if you could fill this form as well. If you got to go, you got to go. So this way I'm not uh, impinging on anyone's time. And this form will be uh, a more detailed feedback form for them to fill out that they can spend as much time as they want on. Um, and on this questionnaire, uh, which um, I have my own, but you can go online and just type in Google board game play test feedback forms. And you will see several be um, uh, on boardgamegeek.com or several other websites. Uh, a great one is at playtest.co.uk on their Dropbox. Um, that actually lays things out really well. Um, but I'll hand out this form, and it's going to ask a couple different things. You know, uh, it will say um, how the rules were they clear, were they not clear, and I'll give us rating scale of one to ten. Um, I want to ask the players how was the length of the game? Did they feel it ended too soon? Did it end at the right time, or did it go too long? I'm going to ask them on my questionnaire 
meaningful choice. Did they feel like they had meaningful choice? Um, I'm going to ask them if they felt that they always had a chance to win. Um, I'm going to ask them how well they enjoyed the game. Did, did they find it fun? I especially always like asking them, um, would they play again? And my scale is um, one, never again, even if asked. Uh, and up to 10, I'd like to play it again right now. Um, this is a really good indicator of how well your game flowed for that person. Um, and then I'll have a, a, a section at the bottom which says that if people are interested, uh, would you like to hear about other playtest opportunities or print and play opportunities in the future for this game? Um, yes or no. And I'll leave a space for their contact information. And I will also ask if they want to be added to a mailing list about this or other games. Um, Again, yes or no. Um, so I use this feedback form for a couple of things. Not only does it give me a lot of data that I can put into my system to crunch it out, but it also allows me to potentially get people's emails and contact information that in the future may want to purchase this game. Um, so that is hugely important. Uh, one other thing you can do, it is up to you, is on this questionnaire, you can put uh, some demographic questions like uh, what types of games do you like to play? Um, uh, strategy games, role-playing games, um, how many games do you own? Things like that. Uh, so if you are going to go super deep into number crunching, you can really get an idea of what demographic your game is appealing to, uh, if you're getting favorable responses, or what demographic your game is not appealing to if you're getting unfavorable responses. Um, but that's the whole process, guys. Um, and maybe throw a couple uh, open-ended questions if they want to fill them out on your playtest form for specific things you're looking for as well in case it didn't come out in conversation. But set up a playtest. Keep it open-minded to um, uh, feedback. Don't be defensive. Uh, have a clear goal of what the playtest is for. Uh, ask a couple open-ended questions at the end. And uh, I highly, highly recommend creating a feedback form that you hand to them at the very end uh, to give you uh, some concrete data you can put into Excel and uh, analyze. All right, guys, that's been today's episode. I hope you have an awesome, awesome week, and I will catch you guys in a month. Take care. Bye. I'm Bez. And I've been lucky enough to be able to focus on being a game designer for several years. And 2019 is probably going to be the first year where I can say yes, I am a professional game designer. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have a successful first game that will pay my rent. And I do a little consulting. And... I'm continuing to work on new games and I'd like to tell you once every couple of months about what I'm up to and maybe give you a snapshot of my experiences. So one thing that occurred to me recently is that a game is never ever finished because if you don't know I've got a deck of cards called Wibble Plus Plus for which you can play many different games and one of them is a story game called Fable. Now, I have a second edition of the deck going to the printer, and it was just after I got the proofs from the printer, everything running several months late, that a friend of mine said, hey, I played Fable. We got the rules wrong, but we really enjoyed it. 
and I asked for details, and she basically, they basically played without half of the rules. I'm not going to go into the details, but they skipped out an entire part of the rule because for whatever reason, they only looked at one side of the card on which the rules were printed. Now, I, I listened to this, I pondered it, I thought actually that might be a better way for the game to be. This is possibly a vestigial part of the game that was never challenged before, that maybe it would actually be better if it wasn't even in there. And I tried it, and I think nine tests later I'm fairly certain this is correct. But... I wasn't able to change it in time for the second edition. I mean, in theory, I could tell them, hey, please stop the printing. Let's change this and do it all over again. But then to do the due diligence, that would mean another month or two of waiting. And I think that people would prefer to have the cards now, to have them in a slightly more timely manner. I mean, it's already late, but at least get it in a couple of months rather than in five or six months. And it just draws, it underscores the fact that a game is never finished. Even when it's out there, if you're lucky enough to be able to playtest your own game after publication, maybe you're working for the company, or maybe you're self-publishing, you will notice things. Or if you're lucky enough to hear back from people who've enjoyed your game, you will hear ideas and maybe some of those ideas will actually improve the game, and you're never sure when one of them will bear fruition. It may be the moment after a game, a new edition is printed, it may be one month earlier, and then bang on, you're perfectly timed to be part of this new edition. But a game is never finished. And a game, even when it's out there, yes, you can't patch it like a computer game, but you can continue to tweak it. And you can continue in future editions to say, hey, yes, those were the old rules, but I believe that these rules are better and try playing with these. And maybe my view is controversial. I know that there are some people who don't like the fact that Carcassonne, for example, started off with slightly different scoring rules than it now exists with. I know there are some people who maybe don't like the fact that there's multiple editions of Twilight Imperium. Or maybe some people like the fact that each new edition should have a clear mar demarcation. But if you can make your game better, if you notice, oh, even after a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand copies of a game have been printed, if you notice that a card which says a finger-touching nose would be better if it simply said finger-touching nose, well then, you can tell the publisher and they can change it for future printings. These are things that can be done because games are never finished. So, today I didn't want to talk about just that fact. I wanted to talk about conventions, really, because I adore conventions. I love going to conventions. And this year so far, I've been to Bastion, ACG Con, City of Games, Festival International de Jeu, and in a few days I'm going to be going to Aircon. So let me talk to you about these five conventions and a couple of other conventions around... Britain that I've been to, and this is a snapshot just from my perspective 
as a game designer, as a self-publisher, as a trader. I mean, I don't do much pitching, I've got to say, but I do see the value of it and I am lucky enough that when I went to Festival International Le Jeu, I was allowed to present a game to Cocktail Games, who knew me because of Yogi, and I got a meeting on the spot, despite the fact that Matthew is a very busy individual. He said he only had time for 10 minutes, no more, one game, and we played a game for five minutes, we played half the game and then we had a chat about it for the remaining five minutes and that was brilliant and that's a privilege that's afforded to me because of a successful first game I guess but if you don't have a successful first game then you do need to call up people ahead of time but let's talk about conventions and what they can do for you so the first one of the year for me is Bastion same as last year Bastion is the only convention I've been to where I haven't done any work yes I maybe show off a prototype to someone for literally 30 minute well for maybe a couple of hours but that's not scheduled. I don't need to do that. And I go to Bastion purely to play games and have a good time. Bastion people take over an entire youth hostel in North Wales. It's a lovely place out of the way in Conwy. And you go out and you can walk along the castle walls, literally, and then go back. You can wake up, go downstairs in your pyjamas. The kitchen is populated by gamers, some of them making breakfast, some of them having a chat, some of them having a break between their turns of Eclipse. I got a chance to play Eclipse. It was fantastic. I organised the Keyforge tournament. Bastion is a wonderful convention for playing games. It is a terrible convention for trading. You need to know what you want when you go to a convention. Conversely, ACG or Alicat Games Con, Alicat Games being a company that I work for on a part-time basis, was a short one-day convention where people were playing games and I went primarily to help out and to playtest. I playtested Dice Farmers, a possible sequel to um, Dice Hospital. I also playtested some Wibble++ games and this was a fantastic opportunity. At the end of the day, I realised, oh yes, I did actually manage to play one game that wasn't mine, which is better than zero, which is what happens sometimes. And Alley Cat Games Con, it was because of the thoroughfare, because of how busy it was relative to the short amount of time, it was fine for me to just playtest, playtest, playtest. And that is a reasonable way to approach a convention, if that is what you want to do. But make sure you speak to the organisers, if you ever do that, and say, is it okay if I do it? And same, it, at Bastion, I wasn't going to playtest for very long, but if I did want to, you know one day go there and spend half the time playtesting, I don't know if that would be okay. I'd ask the organiser, hey, is this okay? Because you want to run these things past them. And, you know, every convention has its own characteristics. City of Games is like Board Game Geek Con in that you cannot buy any tickets for just one day. It literally sells out. It's the second incarnation of, sorry, the second iteration of a new convention by Frank West, or 
And Frank's done a marvellous job. Everyone enjoys it. And Frank invited me to be one of a select number of traders. I think there were three traders there. And it was good. Again, I got to sit down. There were a tiny number of people, 150 people. And because of that, I was spending a lot more time than I normally do. I was able to actually play some of my own games. I was able to play Couple, which lasts 40 minutes. I was able to play Handbuild L, which lasts an hour and a bit. And of course, I had like people coming over for my 2pm events, which was lovely to see. And these are things that I love. I think ultimately, if you go to a convention, think what are you getting out of it? At City of Games, yes, I sold some games. I think I took um, 16 games with me to sell and I sold all of them. I probably could have sold a couple more. But, you know, I'm still out of pocket with the whole thing, even disregarding the couple of posters, as they were called stands that I accidentally left on the bus, even just from the cost of getting there and staying and the added food and everything, it's an expense. But what was I there for? Was I there to make money? No. Was I there to publicise myself? A little bit. Was I there to playtest? Yes, absolutely. Was I there to have a good time? Only in so much as I adore every convention I go to. I mean, I know my voice is tired because I've just come back from, you know, last night I pulled, I came back from France where I went to Festival International de Jeu. Now, people talk about the big conventions. Yeah, UK Games Expo is apparently the fifth biggest convention or something like that. And, but for some reason, people totally ignore the non-English speaking conventions. And Essen, it's only 180,000. I mean, I say only, but like, it's a good number of people. But Festival International de Jeu, it's 150,000 people. It's practically as big as Essen. It's massive. And Festival International de Jeu, this was the first time I'd ever been to it. It was so populated with families, with women, with people of colour. It was fantastic. Going over there, one, I was at the, um, the off, as they call it, a place where designers can sit, and there's a 1,500 people to co who come to this thing, even though it only opens at 10pm, and it goes on until, well, I left after one, after I realised what time it is, and I had promised to be back soon after 12. So I scarpered off, but I was there at the off just one evening, um, because honestly, the other evenings I was just too shattered. And I got a good playtest with 18 people who all told me they'd like to buy the game, although three of them, the price that he puts, it's not viable to produce it at. And as as a self-publisher, if I'm playtesting it, I can playtest to playtest to see if I will make changes. I can playtest to see if a new number is correct. I can playtest to see if the flow of the fun is correct. I can playtest to simply see how much will people pay for this game? I can playtest for the graphic design. And 
if you're not self-publishing, some of these questions are completely irrelevant. But at the same time, it might be worth asking just to be aware of. But, you know, if you just want to be a designer, then looking into too much into the graphic design, spending too long into the um, visual product design, into the art, into the how much it should cost. Let's be honest, you sign up with a publisher to either make money or to remove some of the work from yourself or to get some of their expertise. And if you sign with a publisher to get their expertise, then why do you want to get this knowledge? So... I should probably wrap up. And in the US, you have so many conventions that I've never been to and I'll probably never go to. And I guess the point is, you've got conventions to playtest at. You've got conventions to meet people at. At Festival International, I met the designers of some of my favourite games. I met people I pitched to well, one person, I don't pitch a lot, and I enjoyed gaining those connections, and it might pay off in the future, as I say, hey, yes, I would like to work with you, Smuxchen, to make some things for Taiwan, or whatever, and there is networking, there's pitching, there's playing games for yourself to for your own enjoyment and also to see what else is out there. There is um, showing off your stuff, there's testing, there's, if you're a publisher, there's so many reasons to go pub publicizing yourself, um, introducing yourself to fans, but I guess have a good idea of why you're going. And sometimes it's fine to just go, just to say, hey, I was going to Festival International de Jure just to see what it's like. Or I'm going to go to Bastion just to see what it's like. Or I'm going to go to Gen Con just to see what it's like. But if you're spending a lot of money on it, then probably want to get some return. Maybe do a little, have a couple of things lined up. But whatever you do, remember that, firstly, a game's never really finished. And as you carry it on with you through all the conventions, you can carry on seeing more and more iterations and more and more input. And I hope that you, until next time, you get a lot of wisdom from every convention you go to. Bye-bye. I've been Bez. That's all for this episode. The Board Game Workshop is a member of the Indie Game Report. Check out their reviews and interviews at theindiegamereport.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor-level supporters, Chris Turner, Alan D. Eckert, Brad Batchelor, and Roscoe Shop. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can follow the show on Twitter at TheBGWorkshop and on Facebook at TheBoardGameWorkshop. And join the show's Discord channel to discuss episodes. You can get links to all of these and the show notes for all episodes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening. 